Welcome to the Humanizing Work Show. In this episode, we're sharing the recording of our October 23 community meetup session, where we talked about mission, purpose, and vision, what makes them good, and how to apply them as a daily practice, rather than just a big thing you do every year or two and then forget about. In the meetup, Richard and I share three real examples of recent situations when we were feeling a bit burned out, both at home and at work. These weren't big lofty projects or initiatives. We're talking about chores and repetitive work in these examples. Then we share the process we use to think about and communicate about the purpose and vision at the very micro level. It takes less than five minutes, and in each of those cases, those few minutes helped us get more energized to make our work meaningful that day. And you can do the same thing if you're looking at your task list today and dreading it just a little bit. We also show how daily purpose and vision don't just help with individual engagement. They also make a huge difference for alignment when people need to work together to make meaningful progress at the daily level. We host these free live community sessions on the third Thursday of every month. If you want to attend future sessions where you can participate in the live chat and Q&A, sign up at humanizingwork.com meetup. All right, welcome. Today we're talking about reimagining purpose and vision from grandiose to daily practice. Uh, we work with a lot of companies, teams, and individuals around purpose and vision. And often the first thing we do when we're working on that is normalize, kind of level set around how people feel about that kind of work, writing purpose, mission, vision statements, uh, going into the session. So we give everybody a sentence stub. Writing purpose and vision statements feels like dot, dot, dot. And then on a frame in Miro, we invite them to share any work-appropriate image that captures what it has felt like in the past when they've participated in this kind of work. Now, we're not going to do that here uh, since this is... Uh, we're, we're not working in Miro together, but imagine what image you would drop on there for the mood board about what does it feel like to do mission, vision, purpose statements. We often see uh, board emojis, heads exploding, dumpster fires. Occasionally we get the, the light bulb or uh, lightning or something exciting, but most of the images express boredom, confusion, frustration, a sense of why are we doing this? It doesn't seem to work. So why do we bother over and over again in organizations doing this kind of activity if that's what it feels like to do it? And I think the answer is because when you get it right, which we do occasionally, when their purpose and vision are done well, they create alignment and engagement, even in a world that's rapidly changing and unpredictable and complex in a way that just backlog items or to-do lists or acceptance criteria can't. And it helps us understand the why and get aligned around that. And then as we respond to a changing world, we can keep trying to achieve the same why. So today we're going to look at how to do those things well, but more than that, how to do it every day at a variety of scales. So uh, before we dive into that, we also want to invite you to make it as practical and applicable as possible. And so we'll invite you to think about some places where alignment and engagement would help in your work and some kind of uh, prompts for you to ponder here as we get into the content, which is 
what's a recent example of something that could have benefited from greater alignment between you and maybe the folks you're collaborating with or doing the work with? Uh, second question uh, is, what's a recent example where you knew you had to do a thing, but you didn't feel inspired or engaged in the work? And Richard and I might just share an example of what we spent doing the last few hours before this session, which we have looked forward to. <laughs> and then the third question topic to ponder is, uh, what's a current or an upcoming initiative uh, that you can influence that might benefit from greater alignment and engagement. So those are the things to be pondering as we get into the content. Um, let's start off by uh, talking through how we think about purpose, mission, and vision, and how those are sort of distinct. Um, so let's start with purpose and mission. And we like to clarify these, uh, those two things are A, pretty related. Purpose and mission, the way that we see these used and used well, are very similar. Uh, but they're why we do the work we do, why the work matters, um, what difference we're trying to make in the world. So they're the big whys. Why do we even do this stuff? And so a purpose is, you know, we exist too. And a mission is a little bit more action-oriented, uh, often. Our mission is to yeah. do this thing. And what we found is that different kinds of things are best described one way or the other. A, mm -hmm. a purpose is kind of focused on the outcome you're trying to create. A mission is more focused on what you're doing and the why is sort of secondary. Uh, but they're both a what and a why in some way. Let's uh, contrast that with vision. Um, vision is when we're successful having done that. Or we've done that well, what does the future look like? And that includes the sense of seeing, like vision. I'm seeing a thing. What am I seeing? I'm seeing a better world at some scale because I've done my mission or I've achieved my purpose. So let's take each of those, purpose and vision, and let's share some uh, good example, bad example. Uh, these are real world examples we found. Uh, that are on websites or published in articles uh, that we think do a nice job of distinguishing between what makes a really good one and uh, maybe not so useful one. So for purpose statements, my favorite example, this is actually framed as a mission statement, is uh, from early Tesla. It's one of the clearer mission statements we've ever seen. And uh, Tesla in, oh, about 2010, I think, is when this one came out. Uh, was shared more publicly is that uh, the mission of Tesla Motors is to accelerate the mass market adoption of sustainable transportation. Uh, what's one of your favorites, Richard? I really like um, S&P Global, you know, the people that do the S&P 500 and various other things for investors. They describe their purpose as we accelerate progress in the world by providing intelligence that is essential for companies, governments, and individuals to make decisions with conviction. Uh, apparently, good purpose or mission statements are about accelerating something, right? That's true. <laughs> you, you definitely see, if you look at these over time, you'll see sets of buzzwords mm -hmm. at different times that show up a lot. Yeah. And uh, we live in a time of accelerating, apparently. There's, there's one that you shared with me, Richard, recently that I was a little bit on the fence about, and that's uh, Ralph Lauren, the fashion brand. Do you remember what exactly it said? 
yeah, I've got that one handy. Um, our purpose at Ralph Lauren is to inspire the dream of a better life through authenticity and timeless style. I'll say what I like about it and you can say what you're uncomfortable about with it. Yeah. Uh Uh, I I think sometimes it feels like if you're going to have a a good purpose, it has to be some kind of highly consequential world changing, important sort of thing. And you see brands sometimes try to do this with products that aren't actually doing that. Uh, Like uh, some of our bad examples we'll get to in a minute, uh, <laughs> kind of claim too much. Like I'm, I'm going to bring out Coca-Cola as a, an example of this, like, refresh the world, make a difference. Like they're trying to sort of echo purpose statements like Tesla's that are, like, we're having this consequential effect on things like climate change. And, uh, I mean, Coca-Cola makes sugary drinks. <laughs> so they're, they're make a difference. It, it doesn't ring true. It feels like it's trying to claim more than it does. And and so the thing I like about the Ralph Lauren one is that their brand really is this kind of dream associated with a certain style. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't try to be bigger than it is. It is an aspirational fashion brand and it's honest about what it's doing. And I think that creates consistency through the brand in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think when you first shared that with me, the thing I was uncomfortable about with that is that Um, I don't think of clothing as like inspiring a dream of a better life for me, uh, or you're not necessarily often. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's not your better life, your definition Uh of better. Yeah. Um, so these are written for a particular context. And I think if you know your customers, you're going to have one that resonates with them and may not resonate with people outside of your target customer. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's, let's talk about the ones we could agree were bad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> What's funny is the first one of these showed up on two separate lists when we were researching this a while back uh, as both a great example and in another list as a terrible example. And I think we fall pretty firmly into the second list as far as our opinion goes. And that's Hershey. Yep. That, you know, makes Hershey chocolate. makes chocolate. Yeah. And you know why they exist? Well, according to Hershey, they exist for undisputed marketplace leadership. That's the purpose of Hershey. Undisputed you have it. marketplace leadership. It's kind of like Pinky and the Are Brain. You you remember the old, <laughs> do you remember the old Pinky and the Brain cartoon? Uh, what are we going to do today? Pinky, <laughs> the same thing we do every day. Try to take over the world. <laughs> undisputed marketplace leadership. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully we don't have any folks from Hershey's executive team here. Uh, but you know, we have to, we have to cast some differences here (laughs) and we'll explain. And you know what, if, if somebody from Hershey's is listening, let's talk about how to make your purpose statement better. Totally. Totally. Let's look at two more, uh, Mm -hmm. examples we don't love, and then let's talk about what makes a good one. Good. Okay. We've alluded to it, but uh, let's get into it. So, uh, another one of my favorites, uh, advanced auto parts mission is, no, their purpose is to execute our mission. Passion for customers, passion for yes. Ah. Uh, you know, uh, that says everything. Yeah. You know those um, dumpster fire emojis sometimes we see? I think sometimes when you're trying to get a group to write together and agree on a thing that it, it, you end up with kind of a lowest common denominator thing that says nothing. And some of these are are falling into that category for me. They're, they're not really telling me anything useful, 
And I wonder if these are the result of kind of a group collaborative writing session where we said, all right, can we all agree on this? Yeah, okay. Um, we already mentioned Coca-Cola. The CarMax is another one is uh, to drive integrity by being honest and transparent in every interaction, which sounds much more like a value than a purpose. Mm -hmm. And the pun, I struggle with that. Uh, like it doesn't really say what they do, but they drive integrity. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which, you know, you and I can both appreciate a good pun. Uh, if any of you were to listen in on any of the humanizing work meetings, uh, you would see a high percentage of time spent with Richard and I trying to get Angie to groan with our terrible dad jokes and puns. So we, we love a good pun, but this is probably not the right place for Maybe it. Maybe not in the purpose statement. <laughs> All right, so, so three things that make a good purpose statement good. We've looked at a lot of these, uh, and I think the things that show up over and over again are three Cs. First off, consequential. It feels like it matters that we're doing the thing. It has consequences. Um, usually that's something related to service, connection, relatedness. So if we think about the, the motivation factors, autonomy, mastery, purpose, we're going to see the purpose kind of motivation here, consequential. Now, as we noted earlier, it has to feel realistically consequential. I think the make a difference from Coca-Cola didn't quite ring true because it feels like it's claiming too much for sugary drinks. I think it might be useful to distinguish uh, something like a purpose statement and what it's trying to do from advertising, because you could see Coca-Cola's advertising as doing a nice job of creating a feel associated with the brand. And that's different than the purpose of it. Like the, the iconic, I'd like to teach the world to sing ad was a really effective advertisement, but that's not the purpose of Coca-Cola is to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. <laughs> right. So I think it's useful to distinguish what a purpose statement is meant to do and what an advertisement is meant to do. And I think sometimes those get mixed up uh, when when companies are, or teams are trying to come up with a good purpose statement. I think they actually could have built that in uh, if they had emphasized in their purpose, uh, creating uh, connection between people as they share good drinks. And like, this is already a thing around, say, wine or coffee in cultures for centuries. And they could have picked up on that as uh, close to their purpose. And that would have been a difference it felt like they could have made. So mm, yeah, mm -hmm. consequential. Um, second one is challenging. Uh, this is about emphasizing uh, competence and growth. It's the mastery side of the motivation factors. Right, right. And and if we look at the Hershey one, undisputed marketplace leadership, that might feel consequential to some people, but uh, it's a, probably a pretty limited number of people, like the executive team and the board of directors would really get fired up by undisputed marketplace leadership, um, but not very many other people. And so it's certainly not speaking to uh, the consequential part of it, like undisputed marketplace, marketplace leadership in service of what outcome? And then finally, clear is the third C. So we have consequential, challenging, and clear. And the thing that we're looking for when we look at examples of this is that it actually says what we do in some way. Like it's we we exist to do something and produce some outcome by doing that something. And that should be clear so that we can see alignment from uh, 
different people involved in making the purpose happen. Mm -hmm. All right. So to recap, a great purpose statement is consequential, it's challenging, and it's clear. And those don't just roll off the tongue, right? It takes work, it takes uh, drafts, it takes feedback, it takes sleeping on it, running on it, right? All the things that we know. Because these are both purpose, mission, and vision are all uh, creative writing is how I think of them. They're creative writing assignments. You're writing good prose typically when you're doing this. Maybe a little bit of poetry when you get into vision. Uh, but good prose takes editing and revision and feedback in order to get it right. Uh, so if you're if you're thinking, wow, writing a good purpose statement, I don't know if I could do that without Seth Godin on my team, <laughs> right? Well, you can, but it would probably take drafts. And by the way, one way to get at that is actually starting from these three things and answering the questions. Um, what is consequential about what we do? What is challenging about what we do? And, and putting it really clearly, what do we actually do? Uh, there's probably a sentence in there. We exist to do this thing that has this effect. Yeah, good. And, and then it's and then it's really just editing, right? It's editing to get it tighter. It's editing to get it clearer, more challenging, or clearer what the challenge is, uh, more consequential, or clearer what the consequences are, right? Let's shift to vision. What do we right. see when we've done that purpose well, Richard? Six attributes of a good vision, and then let's look at a couple that display those attributes pretty nicely. Uh, so the first attribute of a good vision is that it vividly describes the future. The, the bad ones feel a lot like these vague collections of buzzwords, and sometimes they're even tangled up with what are we doing or what are we building. The good ones actually paint a picture of the future, which is why Peter says they're creative writing. You're telling a story about something in the future. So that's number one, vividly describes the future. Uh, the second one then is it uses concrete language and not corporate speak. And um, we were reflecting on this earlier this week because my uh, old company, Adobe, is having their big annual creativity conference, the Adobe Max conference. And Adobe's corporate communication style is riddled with corporate speak. Seamlessly, easily do this, right? Like, like those adverbs uh, just drive me nuts because I'm so... Uh, I guess I'm, my ears are tuned to listen for those these days. And even when I was there, it drove me a little bit nuts how we describe these things. But uh, seamlessly doesn't really tell me anything useful. It's just a filler word when we're trying to vividly paint a picture. Um, instead of telling me it's seamless, paint a picture for how it's seamless. So we want concrete language. It's very similar to what we teach, like uh, Richard and product owners, when we're doing like, um, here's a user story. Now give me examples. I, I don't want I don't want an acceptance criteria to be it's easy to use. I want you to like tell me an example of what somebody does and, and make it concrete that way. Number three, a good one describes the experience of people, and the people are usually customers and our employees, often both. So when we're talking about especially big visions, so bigger scale, we're talking about uh, the vision for a company being successful or vision for a major product being successful. There's often two sides to it, why the future is better for our customers, but also why the future is better for us and why we want to be a part of that. And we'll see that actually in one of the examples that we share in a moment. Uh, next to our uh, 
very similar to what we talked about in purpose. So we want to include these attributes as well, which is that a good vision statement is challenging. It's aspirational. Uh, it, again, emphasizes those things of like uh, competence and growth. We're going to need to grow and expand and get better at things in order to uh, accomplish this vision. So there's an aspirational nature to it because it challenges us to do things we're not doing today. And then inspires, right? So both of those, very, very similar to the consequential and challenging parts, uh, inspires us. It, it, again, that emphasizes the service that we're being in the world in some way. Uh, or the connection we're creating. Uh, so those two motivation factors um, come come up again here in the vision statements. And then finally, the, the sixth one is good vision differentiates us. It feels like it's uniquely ours in some way. One of the patterns we noticed when we looked at bad visions, and there are a lot of them in the world, is that they could apply to almost any company often not even within a category, like they could apply to any organization. Uh, when we're done, we'll have made a difference in the world. Uh, okay. What kind of difference and why you? And, um, so I always like to see something in a vision where it says, this is the unique mark that we're leaving on the world. And it mattered that we were here doing this thing. All right. So let's share a couple of examples here. Um, and I'll, I'll share one that I like, and you can share one that you like. And, uh, the okay. first one of these that I came across, this was years ago when we were trying to pin down what does a good vision statement look like, and I just was reading blogs and articles and websites and books about this, and I came across this uh, vision statement from the original Ford Motor Company. This was all the way back in 1905, so like pre-Model T launch, I think, if the timeline is right, or right around the time they were launching the very first Model T, and... Um, uh, I'll preface this by saying it is a statement of its time <laughs> uh, that would probably be edited a little bit to make it a little more inclusive these days, but uh, it's even inclusive for its time. So Ford in 1905, the vision statement was, we will build a, mul a, a motor car for the great multitudes. It will be so low in price that no man making a good salary will be unable to own one and enjoy with his family the blessings of hours of pleasure in God's great open spaces. When we are through, everyone will be able to afford one. The horse will have disappeared from our highways and the automobile will be taken for granted. I love that last sentence. That is a vivid picture of the future. The horse will have disappeared and the automobile will be taken for granted. It was successful, so it's almost hard to imagine how big and vivid that was to claim. That's like uh, wheeled vehicles will have disappeared from our highways or, or maybe less ambitious internal combustion engines will have disappeared from our highways. It's that kind of aspirational, vivid, concrete. Uh, here's one that I really liked. So Sony was founded just after World War II in Japan and the the original Sony vision. This one actually is a little bit like purpose and vision stuck together, um, but it's got some of these vision elements in it. It says, we'll create products that become pervasive around the world. We will be the first Japanese company to go into the American market and distribute directly. We will succeed with innovations like the transistor radio that American companies have failed at. 50 years from now, our brand name will be as well known as any on earth and will signify innovation and quality that rivals the most innovative companies anywhere. 
made in Japan will mean something fine, not shoddy. Hmm. Again, Just like the, Ford, they finished strong. I yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. They both finished really strong. And, and that's a great example of meaningful, not just for customers, but for us uh, internally. We talked about it, it. It makes a difference for customers, but that's one that really is, I can see uh, getting fired up to go to work in the morning at Sony if my goal is, is to change the perception of what made in Japan means. Right, living in Japan, especially post World War II, right? There's a there's a lot going on there uh, psychologically in that vision statement. Um, the other thing I like about this one is the transistor radio as an example. I think that a lot of good visions have this pattern of an example that really illustrates a larger category of things. Because this isn't a feature list that says um, we're going to do transistor radios. This is. Even transistor radios, the thing the Americans are struggling with, we're going to get that. And maybe even we'll get it first or we'll get it better. Um, that's powerful. And so I've seen this sort of thing where you have a foil in some way in the vision, like an example of a thing. Like we've used this with Amazon or Netflix or uh, some familiar brand and, and kind of use that as an example. I remember we wrote one for our when we were first starting out with online courses, we had something like uh, our customers will anticipate the next course like people wait for the next episode of their favorite series on Netflix. And then five years later, somebody actually said that unprompted in a <laughs> conversation a nice with us. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. I just want to binge the whole course like on Netflix. <laughs> yes. Oh, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So both of those vision statements, uh, pretty old, right? Uh, 75 to uh, 120 years old. And there's a little bit of survivorship bias in the, in the picking of those two. I'm sure there are lots of really uh, vivid, inspirational vision statements that we've never heard about because the company went out of business. And so it's not like purpose and vision will make or break the company. Uh, what it does do, I think, is, is fuel the fire, uh, really increase your chances of uh, staying motivated, like all of the, the psychological reasons that we want to really knock it out of the park um, when we're leading uh, a team, when we're leading an organization, it just improves our odds of being successful. And uh, this all kind of makes sense uh, to us. Like we've, we've done this. I'm sure everybody on the call has been involved with some kind of discussion about purpose vision or has at least thought through it. Or, or maybe if you're like me and past companies has been critical of our company's purpose and vision and wished that we got a chance to, to take a stab at improving it. Um, and so at the big picture, 20,000 foot view, purpose vision seem like, all right, we need to do those things. But what happens when, as I come in to work this morning, I've got a task list that has me dreading getting started. Like, uh, maybe, maybe five more minutes on, on this uh, New York Times crossword puzzle before I get started, <laughs> right? Uh, and then uh, the, other, the other challenge that I find with this sometimes is that um, it, it feels like a thing we do once in a while, but the thing I'm focused on today or this week or this month is like the features on my sprint backlog right now, kind of losing the forest from the trees is one challenge. And then kind of feeling demotivated when my to-do list today is full of what feels to me like busy work that I know I need to do, but it's not particularly something I'm looking forward to. So shifting from 
company vision, product vision to how do I apply this no matter what my role is? Because I think we've all experienced that, the losing the forest for the trees. And yeah, I get that we're trying to make a big difference, but my to-do list doesn't look that inspiring today. And so that's the the big idea we want to explore today. Uh, We've noticed that the same things that make good purpose and vision at the large scale are actually really useful at the small scale, but we often don't use them there. There's this switch when we get into the small scale to tactical, um, like even if you're still beginning with the end in mind in some way, to use the Stephen Covey phrase, uh, it's like, here's the acceptance criteria. Here's what done looks like. And I think there's an opportunity to get the benefits of purpose and vision at the smaller scale. So uh, let's look at some examples of that. Um, I'll, I'll share a story of where I used this in the last week and had an unexpected positive outcome. Uh, So my wife and I went on a trip this last weekend out of town, which meant that some of the chores that needed to happen on Saturday at home that I would normally do weren't going to get done unless I asked one of my adult sons to do it for me. Specifically, we have eight ducks that live in our backyard, and ducks make a mess. And their uh, their little kitty pool pond gets pumped out a couple times a week, including on Saturdays, so they have fresh water to play in, and, and you have to add new bedding to their run. And like, there's various things that need to happen, and I normally do that on Saturday mornings, but I was going to be gone. So I wanted my son to do it, and we'd done it together occasionally. He knew some of the tasks, and I could have given just tactical, like, here's the to-do list, the things that need to be done. But instead, I wanted to try something different. So I painted a picture of what does it look like when we've done this successfully? What am I trying to do on a Saturday when I'm out there? And um, we we talked about (laughs) how um, entertainingly happy the ducks are when you change their water. Uh, Like they're they're splashing around and, and playing. They don't mind nasty water, but they really like it when it's fresh. And they like throwing it all over the yard to make more mud, to make it dirty again. Uh, and we we just talked through our our vision for the the yard. And I went away and came back, and everything had been done really well. And he reported that it was uh, more fun than he expected. He wasn't really looking forward to it before this, but was willing to do it because he's good about his responsibilities. Uh, but yeah, and another outcome was happy ducks. So <laughs> it was meaningful for employees and customers as it were, uh, <laughs> and produced a good outcome. Now the unexpected outcome of this was on Tuesday morning when I got up to do the second round of this for the week, like I normally do, I still had that vision in mind. And even though I ran into an issue with my pump getting clogged and it was taking longer than I wanted. I still had that vision in mind and that kept me engaged through a kind of frustrating version of those chores. And then when the ducks were happy at the end, it's like, oh yeah, this is why I do what I do. And they upped their egg production this week from five to seven. So, uh, every day, uh, I think maybe the vision has also improved our, uh, outcomes beyond just psychological. <laughs> I could totally see this as Richard the Farmer's uh, KPI 
like uh, increase <laughs> duck uh, egg production by <laughs> would that be twenty eight percent or whatever it is <laughs> versus just leading with vision and and it creates a pull instead of a push towards that. Yeah, um, and I'm kind of looking forward to doing it again. Yeah. On Saturday. It's fascinating. This is like brain hacks for how to get us to do things that we're not looking forward to in some ways. Um, because as you described this, so I mentioned that before this call, uh, Richard and I are currently uh, simultaneously doing three different cohorts of our ACSPO program. So ACSPO is uh, our advanced product owner course. And it's not just a two-day class. It's every Friday we meet for 90 minutes. We give homework. Uh, uh, participants then do the homework so that they can actually play with the information, apply it to their real work, and then they submit the homework during the week, and then Richard and I grade it, and then we collect themes and questions from the homework, and then we kick off the next Friday session with that, which has never been uh, a too onerous a task to grade that stuff. But th I think this is the first time we've ever done three cohorts at the same time and they're all offset like one started on this week another one started a couple weeks later another one started a couple weeks later and so we have, so we have there are six weeks, weeks of that this. peter we're actually grading for four right now because we're still finishing up the tail end of <laughs> the tail end of that last one, one. so, so today it was four we we have these um these grading assignments and i and i feel uh, a ton of empathy for teachers today uh who are constantly grading tons of homework uh, and for us, it's just scattered across six different topics and four different cohorts. And um, after lunch, which is when we had slotted to knock a bunch of this out, uh, you know, I finished my lunch and I was in that uh, mode. And so uh, because we had primed ourselves to think about this a little bit for, for this meetup session, I thought, OK, let me do the work here. What's the purpose? What's the mission? Uh, behind the ACSPO program and uh, what is the impact we're trying to have? How is this challenging to us and to our participants? Uh, what does great look like? What's the vision behind a great program? And I started to real, I, uh, I had this very concrete picture of my early days of Scrum and thinking if two weeks into learning about Scrum, I had been able to send something to Jeff Sutherland or to Mike Cohn or Alistair Coburn or some of the early folks that had taught me these things and get their actual feedback on it. What would that have felt like for me to get a note from, from Alistair saying, wow, this is really well thought out, which is one of the things we do when, when somebody gives us a really nicely done assignment or, Hey, it looks like you assumed we meant this when we did that. What we're actually thinking about is this. Could you make it an edit on this? Uh, and, and improve it, even that would be super useful to me so I don't go too far down the wrong path uh, before I get course correction. And and not to put myself on the same level as as those folks who've been doing this a lot longer than we have and uh, and I think are, uh, you know, I, I consider some of my heroes, but with any teacher getting a little bit of kudos, getting a little bit of feedback in my life has been really meaningful to me. And I thought, okay, let me, let me switch this from, I got to knock out all the grading to let me be of service to the people in this cohort and these cohorts and give them some feedback and uh, a little bit of vision around, won't it be cool when like all of these are graded? So there's a little bit of a, a short-term one, 
we, we have a Slack channel where these come in as people submit them and we, we, we use some signals to do that. I thought, won't it be cool when it's all green check marks in the Slack channel? And that was motivating. Uh, and so even just thinking about outcomes and thinking about vision and purpose for that was really useful. And, you know, I, I, I put down the crossword and got to it. And so that was about a three hour task. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about 18 to 24 months or 50 years or you know, the scale we normally think about these being useful tools. You applied it to an afternoon of work yeah, to create engagement. Likewise, with my duck chores, that was a couple hours of work. Mm -hmm. to create alignment and engagement for a right. small number of people. So this stuff scales down really nicely. Um, let's, uh, those are both ones that we've done recently, Richard. Let's talk about one that uh, we probably need to do. Okay. And uh, that is something where uh, Richard and I occasionally have a bit of tension around this topic. Uh, so all of our websites run on WordPress, uh, there are multiple plugins on various sites that we manage. So many plugins. So many plugins. Uh, PHP revisions happen. Uh, Stripe updates things. Uh, themes uh, get updated. Our forms, like all these things change all the time. And um, Richard is sort of the, the owner of this. Uh, you know, he, he manages the, the host hosting service. Richard has more experience than any of the rest of us with, you know, doing this type of work. And so anytime I feel like we ought to update all the plugins, update all the stuff on WordPress, um, I sort of have to uh, poke at Richard a little bit and say, hey, I'm getting these red warning flashes when I go to our page, uh, the admin page, uh, the dashboard. Do you think maybe we ought to update the website now? And uh, Richard's response is very similar to, I think, what my response was when it's time to grade the homework. <laughs> yeah, um, there's always a lot of other things to do. Yeah, yeah. Is this really the highest more value of time? important or more urgent and less frustrating. Because <laughs> it never just works. It's always whack-a-mole where yeah. uh, some plugin interacting with some other plugin fails to upgrade and I have to figure out why. And and then I get to the end of it and it feels like I'm in the same place I started in a way. Uh -huh. There's no new capabilities on the website or anything. Right. I'm just waiting until it has to happen again. So I, I don't feel a strong sense of purpose around this. Yeah. If, uh, that's what you're getting at? Yeah. Well, and uh, I think I do. But I'm not the one to do the work. And so there, that, I think that creates a little bit of tension, right? like a mismatch in if, if I felt really confident that I'd be able to do all that stuff competently, I would just dive in and take the lead on it. But I think this is a good example of, <laughs> yeah, Richard's like, uh, here's the training course, Peter, go after it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but there are certain things that I think you're uniquely good at, uh, like... I, I don't know. There's probably some ways to do some automated testing on that and automated updates with smoke tests. And those are things that uh, would take me years to get good at where you, you probably could do that half asleep. So, um, yeah. And, and to Michael's point, Michael's point in the chat, Michael mentions that maybe we could buy our way out of it. I think there are lots of different ways we could address this. Every once in a while, I think, uh, yeah, maybe we ought to just get off WordPress. All the, like there are all kinds of things that we could do. But, you know, we've made the choices we've made and like the cost of switching is probably high enough that uh, that would be an even bigger burden. So it's not like uh, Richard and I are fighting, but there's there's some tension around it. And I think this is a good example of 
when we are collaborating with other people, we don't always have the same incentives. We're not always fired up by the same things. Uh, and so it's really useful uh, to recognize that pushing harder doesn't make it better. Like me just nagging Richard or bribing him or cajoling him or shaming him or whatever I, <laughs> I could pull out of my manipulation toolbox from being a parent for 24 years is not going to be useful here, right? <laughs> uh, but what might be useful is what we've talked about here, which is, is there a purpose, a vision that we could get aligned on that would create a pull for both of us around this? Uh, and so maybe it would be useful to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Richard just slacked me to, to poke at me a little bit, uh, like putting a meeting on my calendar, because that's the last thing I did. I just put a meeting on the calendar, said update the website. <laughs> Behold the tension, right? Okay, so um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's see if we can get aligned. Uh, we'll do it live, Richard, if you're okay with that. All right, bring it on. All right, so let's talk about um, purpose. Like what's c concrete, what's consequential, what's clear related to the websites. Um, so when you think of it that way, what is the purpose of, and, and this is specifically narrowly focused on keeping the websites always Plugging up to updates. date. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I can articulate a purpose for each of the websites. So we have two, we have the marketing site, humanizingwork.com, which is, um, like the purpose of that website is to help the right people find us and find our products and services so that we can have a meaningful impact for them and help them do their work better. And so that that's the purpose on that one. The other one is the, the learning system, learning.humanizingwork.com where people take online courses. And I think the purpose of that one is that people actually learn useful concepts and skills that they can apply to their work. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an internal purpose with that one. I think that people can do that while we're doing something else and not teaching them life. Yeah. Uh, so I see the purpose for those. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think if I were to try to articulate a purpose for the plugin update extravaganza, uh, it's something like what we would talk about is a, an avoid costs benefit. Uh, it's that there could be an interruption to the purpose of those websites as there's a security hole that gets exploited or a plugin that no longer works or something. And so the purpose of the plugin updates is the continuing experience of the purpose of the websites. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, no, that's, that's I just want to point out that that you just hit on the thing that causes this to be meaningful for me, mm -hmm. um, which is when I see those warnings, I, I start to worry like, we're, we're vulnerable now. Not only are we vulnerable, but potentially our users could be vulnerable, right? If uh, people on the learning site, you know, have personal email, they have login info on there. Like if, if, if something got hacked, if there was a security vulnerability, that kind of freaks me out. And then anything that uh, interacts with Stripe, which is the payment processing, kind of freaks me out as well. Every once in a while I get a, hey, Stripe is doing this. You better update these plugins. And I think, ah. So, uh Framing that as an avoid cost, like we uh, keep all of those things from happening. It's interesting because it is a negative framing. It's like avoid pain. It is. Versus create positive outcomes. But I think that is for just manually doing the updates. Mm -hmm. I think that is the honest statement of purpose. Mm -hmm. And vision is like avoiding this negative future. Mm -hmm. 
And if we were to try to frame it in a positive way, it would probably feel yeah. as disingenuous as the make a difference with sugary drinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so let's go to vision because I can see vision being maybe even a more useful tool here about what it's like when, and I think this could be longer term. Um, what's it like when plugin updates always happen regularly and uh, like, give me some, give me some ideas. Like, um, in fact, let's use, there's, there's one of these, there are a couple different patterns for writing good vision statements that we like, that we teach. Uh, one is uh, what we call how now, wow. Uh, so how is, you know how, and you describe the current crappy situation. Um, well now here's the new thing. And the wow is better future. Yeah. Here's the better future, right? Like here's what people say about it. Isn't that cool? So if you were to give me like a how now wow around plugin updates, what would it look, what would it sound like? Um, you know how every month or two we have to have this conversation about how out of date the plugins are getting and then spend a day slogging through fixing it. Um, well, now the updates happen automatically and uh, a little bit at a time and we have confidence every morning that it worked because we see the results of the smoke tests that ran right after every update and it rolls back if they don't pass. Mm. Here's why vision statements to me are, uh, it, starting with a vision statement is so much more powerful than just a checklist because we have checklists right now. And you know we have some tools to just make sure that this happens on a regular cadence. But when you described it that way, Richard, I started to think, well, maybe there's a different way we could approach this mm -hmm. rather than just slog through the whole checklist again. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that mm -hmm. because that was not really me creating a vision for the work that was sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. That vision caused me to imagine a whole different batch of work yep. around... Yeah. Um, WordPress actually has auto updates, so I could turn that on, but it was the, uh, confidence around the yeah. automatic updates. That uh -huh. is the part that doesn't exist. And so that implies a whole different piece of work. Yeah. And maybe that's fine, but this didn't actually motivate me to do the manual updates and manual yeah, yeah. testing. So I'm wondering if, um, just like we would do with a real product backlog, if if we know there's a better architectural way to do something or a better process we could use is not to try to boil the ocean and say, well, it's always going to be manual and painful until we invest a right. week to create this new system. Is there a small slice of that that we could build the next time we do it that gets you more motivated? Yeah, it turns out I wrote a book on test automation and there's a piece of a chapter that talks about exactly how to solve this problem, retrofitting huh. tests on yeah. old code. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so do your children uh, what, have what shoes, Richard? Me say we should do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe the next time I do this, I start reproducing issues I run into using automated tests mm -hmm. and slowly grow the tests over the riskiest parts of our website until we have that body of tests that I trust. Mm -hmm. And me and Laura and Angie don't have to go through and manually test everything every time. Yeah. What else would make it? Uh, I don't know. Do you feel like that's sufficient? Um, I, I think it is. And, and I want to resist the temptation to go too big on mm -hmm. this because I think the point here is that 
we can do vision for small things and it's going to be a future that is better in small ways. Mm. And the feeling that a vision has to be big and change the world in order to be useful is not accurate. I noticed a change in, in how you were describing the work from originally, like when you were describing how we do it now, the manual, uh, 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 to, Mm -hmm. I wrote a book about this. This is an area of high competence for me. Uh, like there was a, a real change in your tone and uh, how you were true. talking about it. And I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, if it felt different and if so, what felt different about it? I feel pulled by that work in a way I never do by the manual updates. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of interested in doing it both because I think it would produce a better outcome. And I think I would en- enjoy doing the work more. It would be uh, what we sometimes call play. Like mm-hmm. the work itself would be enjoyable because I don't get to do automated tests all that often. And I actually rather enjoy doing that work. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wrote a book about it. The book didn't wholly kill the joy. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't use cucumber for this. So if anybody's familiar with the book, yeah. I wouldn't totally do what is yeah. in the book, but um, I, I would probably still use Ruby and WebDriver and, Mm-hmm. It'd be a place where I have some confidence yeah. from having done it before in other kinds of work. Um, you mentioned play. And, uh, you know, we were talking about motivation factors earlier with purpose and vision. We focused on the other two, kind of competence, growth, purpose, connection. Um, and we didn't talk much about autonomy because it doesn't seem to play into this very much. But uh, play comes from the book uh, Prime to Perform. And they're describing the same research that uh, Dan Pink described as autonomy as play. And I think when we're thinking about purpose and vision, play is probably a much more important thing than autonomy or agency. Uh, so that, that just a, a occurred to me when you mentioned play. That, that, that's a good way to think about good purpose vision uh, should tap into play, purpose, and potential, which is the three Ps as they describe those three categories. That's nice. Um, The other thing that occurred to me as we were doing this, Richard, is that um, Chris Avery has this, uh, basically his book is called The Responsibility Process. Uh, And it's really a book about uh, how we show up and especially about how we lead. Um, But responsibility process is kind of uh, how we react to a situation um, all the way from I do it. Why do we do what we do? I do it out of shame. I do it out of obligation. And, and he says, the goal is to get to responsibility, meaning I'm choosing how to respond to this. And as you talked about finding the play motive in this work, it felt like you switched from shame because I haven't done it or obligation because I have to do it and uh, to responsibility. Like I found a way to respond to this in an effective way. I think that's true. Um, I feel like that's a thing I could choose to do rather than anything you just put on my calendar for me. Right. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that that's kind of how we would want to use this on a day-to-day basis. It helps us get out of the forest for tr- the trees problem, which really this was a little bit of that and a little bit of just the obligation, I got to do it, dreading part of it. Um, and what we're going to do next is in a moment, we'll, we'll cancel the recording 
and we'll invite uh, anyone on the call to share any of the following in any order that occurs to you. Um, so as we've walked through how we think about these things, um, if you want to ask questions to get clarity on any of the concepts we've talked through, uh, if you want to share any ideas that triggered for you and talk through those and, and uh, we can learn together, uh, or if there's a particularly tough one, uh, situation you're in, an initiative you're working on, the thing that's on your calendar that you're looking forward to with as much excitement as I was looking forward to grading or Richard was looking forward to updating the plugins, uh, we're happy to talk through that together. Um, so those of you that are watching the recording, thanks for tuning in. And you can send us those questions, I guess, to mailbag at humanizingwork.com, and we'll see if we've got an answer for you there. Uh, otherwise, thanks for tuning in, and we will uh, cancel, stop this recording. And Thanks for tuning in to this week's Humanizing Work show. We don't rebroadcast the Q&A from these meetup sessions just to keep things private for the community members. But if you want to participate live in future sessions, you can sign up at humanizingwork.com slash meetup. If you like the Humanizing Work show, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the show on your podcast app or on YouTube, leave a review and comment, and of course, share links to specific episodes on your social media accounts. You can also send us questions you want us to answer or episode ideas to mailbag at humanizingwork.com, and you can subscribe to our newsletter in the footer of any page over at humanizingwork.com to get more free weekly content from us. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time. Thank you.